Welcome to Limitless, How to Crush It in Commercial Real Estate, the show that gives you inside access to how retail real estate's most successful leaders went from being an average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys at CM for making this podcast happen. They've brought Limitless from an idea to making it a reality, and I can't thank them enough for support along the way. If you're looking to get going on your own content creation journey or need help with your marketing, I'd strongly encourage you to reach out to them at kazcm.com. Hey everyone, we're back for the second half of season two of Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. I couldn't be more flattered about the incredible amount of positive feedback from our first 18 episodes that we've aired so far. Our ambition of helping anyone in our industry who wants to improve their career by virtue of listening to those who have already, quote, crushed it is being achieved on a consistent basis. Admittedly, I'm selfish and strive to have guests that can help me improve as not only a commercial real estate professional, but also as an entrepreneur. At the recommendation of past guests and people that I respect tremendously in this business, one name continued to pop up over and over as someone that we should totally have on the show. After interviewing Josh Simon, it made complete sense. The people who have made those recommendations were spot on and perhaps even undersold how much of a badass this guy really is. Josh started Simon CRE with nothing 12 years ago. Today, the company is doing over 100 development and acquisition deals per year. I'm going to repeat that. 100 pieces of commercial real estate are purchased each year by Simon CRE. Josh is still young, driven, and a visionary who executes as well as anyone I've come across in my career. And I cannot wait for you to hear his story. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Josh. So excited for this next half of season two of Limitless to commence with none other than the one and only Josh Simon out of Arizona. Josh is the founder and CEO of Simon CRE, which is, I'll let him get into his story later, but an incredible, incredible journey and how fast and how successfully he has grown that business. But before we hear the end of the story, I always like to start with the beginning and get to know the guests on how they grew up. Josh, tell us about that. Where did you grow up? What was your family life like growing up? I uh, grew up in Chicago during the Michael Jordan era. I've been an entrepreneur since I can ever remember. I had a landscaping company. I would plow people's driveways in the winter. So I've always been an entrepreneur. Moved to Phoenix to finish grade school. I went to Arizona State University where I had, was working at In-N-Out Burger. That's where I also got a job in commercial real estate as an intern in my freshman year of college. And okay. uh, haven't looked back since then. So Nice. So... Hitting the rewind button a little bit. So how old were you when you moved from Chicago to Arizona? 12. Okay. And did you have brothers and sisters? I have one younger brother. Okay. Yep. Did you guys beat each other up a little bit? Yeah. You know, it's a typical 21 months uh, age difference. So there was definitely the competitive nature of our relationship. Mm -hmm. And what triggered the move from Chicago? Like, was it somebody's job or why'd you guys up and leave? Well, have you ever been to Chicago in the winter? I have. I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my dad went to University of Arizona and went to law school in Chicago. I think after decades of winters, got tired of it and moved the family back to Phoenix. Got it. And so what did, so your, I assume at least your dad was an attorney? Yep. What did your parents do? My dad's attorney, my mom in fitness. My mom actually, fast forwarding, worked for the company and still does work uh, for our company. So that's really cool. So I get to talk to her all the time. And then my dad being an attorney, I like to think I got the best of both worlds where I have like my mom's personality and being outgoing. And I've got 
my dad's like ability to think through things from a legal perspective, which in real estate is, I think, the best of both worlds. For sure. Yeah. Having an engaging personality is critical and having one to be able to think think critically about certain situations is good to have on either one. To be specialized in is great. To have both obviously would make somebody dynamic. So you're very fortunate, it sounds like. Is your brother in the business with you too? No, he actually lives in Germany. He's getting his doctorate in, I think, political science or I don't know what it is right now. So it's actually kind of interesting. And I think he's a little scared just with all the stuff going on with Ukraine and Russia right now. So hopefully that calms down. Got it. And so I always love asking the following two questions about our guest upbringing. Were you a good student? Depends on what part of school. I would say for the most part, I was not a procrastinator. So I was always good about getting my stuff done. And then come in college, I was more about how to effectively get homework and attend school. I'll leave the effectively in the air quotes uh, on the podcast. <laughs> it's undefined. And then did you grow up playing sports? Did you do any extracurriculars? You mentioned you were an entrepreneur. I mean, how early did you say it was before you started doing landscaping and shoveling driveways? Like, when did oh, that yeah. I started when I was probably eight or nine doing cool. that. And I, was a, I babysat. I refereed kids' soccer games. I mean, I was always working. And I think that's something my family has always been really good about is like work ethic. And you know, I come from a pretty middle-class family. My dad's the first one of his family to attend college. And I'm a fourth-generation entrepreneur. Going back to like my great-great-grandfather was came here from Russia, was a mason and had his own masonry business. And so like slowly, everyone's evolved. My dad had his own law firm. And then I realized that billing per hour really wasn't my thing. And that's why I like the ownership side of commercial real estate. Wow. And you skipped a generation there. You said there was four. So what did your grandparents do? What type of business did they have? So they had a, a kosher foods business in Ohio, in oh. Cleveland. So they would... Yeah. Pretty interesting business. My dad worked there when he was in high school. And so it's kind of cool to see that kind of those generations and like each generation has done better for themselves, which is just you know super cool to see. And so we always had work ethic. Like So you asked about sports. We would always be working. But we also... Our parents kept us you know, involved in sports, whether it was soccer for years, golf, tennis, cross country, football, although being uh, five foot eight isn't very good for football. But still, we were super active. And I think that always kept us on the straight path through life. It's interesting how relatable your family's history is to mine. So my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, moved to North America with nothing. They immigrated to Canada and then obviously didn't make it through school. And so my dad is actually the first in his family to go to college. He went the other preferred path for a Jewish mother to see their son do. He went to medical school instead of law school, but certainly very a lot of similarities there. And then so obviously you and I do uh, the same thing. You're just doing it a little bit bigger and better than I am for now. That's why I'm so excited to be interviewing you because your story is obviously very inspirational. And selfishly speaking, I'm personally excited to even go back and listen to this. And I'm sure all of our listeners are pumped to hear your story because everybody gets into this business with the mindset of wanting to potentially own sites one day. And, and so we're, we're certainly going to dive into that here soon before I interrogate you about your past a little bit more. <laughs> so it's interesting. So you were always working, always playing sports. I guess I'll, I'll call it enough to get by above mediocre student, but not like stellar that fair to classify you or? Yeah, if I'd applied myself to it, but you know, school was never that, I guess, interesting to me. Certain classes were. Which classes? I'm bet I could take a wild guess, but I'd love to hear. Like geology, 
I mean, I was really interested in geology. You know, I wanted to be an architect at one point, but then I realized that like, I can't sit and do math all day and figure out angles and structural load calculations. And that really wasn't my thing. So I still, to this day, am a kind of a science nerd. I love nonfiction. You know, I probably listen to at least four or five books, you know, on Audible every month. I used to read them, but then I realized it's way more efficient and effective to listen to them. And they're all nonfiction? Pretty much all of them, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can't remember the last fiction book I've listened to. What type of books are you listening to? I mean, when you say nonfiction, are they science-related still, or are they more... All over. I just finished Against the Gods, which is a history. It's pretty dry, but it's about the history of risk. And then a couple good ones I just did. One I just did was Strength to Strength by Arthur Brooks. And that one's more talking about kind of your second half of life and you know what's important and how to find meaning. And I think the important thing is like, hey, what are the one or two things that you can always pull out of any conversation, any book, anything you read that can make you, you know, a better person? And I think that's really my what drives me is that quest to be better. It's amazing. I love that. I'm jotting down notes on, on the books that you've read. So thank you for sharing those. We're going to come back to that topic for sure. So high school goes well. You enjoy yourself as an athlete, student, entrepreneur working for yourself or picking up jobs ends and odd jobs to make money. You go off to college. Where did you go to school? And tell us about that experience. Uh, Harvard of the West, uh, Arizona State University. It was great. I actually uh, was going to go to University of Arizona, just like my dad. I didn't really have a... you know, It's a big rivalry here in Phoenix, but I, I didn't know. I was still relatively new in Phoenix. And I actually had a better scholarship offer to go to U of A in Tucson, which is a couple hours away. And at the time, I was working at In-N-Out Burger. And I was making... You know, this is back in 2000, what was that? Probably two or 2001. I was making like 16 bucks an hour at the time and they didn't have an in and out opened in Tucson. And I also knew that, like, hey, I really need to get an internship. Like, that's the goal during college. And being down in a smaller market like Tucson, their opportunities for year long internships just, you know, they weren't there. And so I decided to go to ASU originally, you know, trying to go into the business school. And my freshman year, I'll never forget, April Fool's Day, 2004, I started with a, a privately held developer that was based in the Midwest. They were opening a, you know, one of the principals was tired of living again in another cold city, wanted to open an office in Phoenix. And so I was like kind of his right hand. And so the first day I show up, I'm like, you know, putting together desks and running a Costco to get a water cooler and buy monitors. And within a few weeks, he's like, Hey, bid this project out. We're building some a shadow anchored retail space next to a Safeway. And I was like, well, I just had to figure it out. But I was just so excited. I was like, every day, all I could do was think about being in the office. And to the point where you know, most of college, the way I set up my classes were like Monday, Wednesday, maybe in class, or excuse me, Tuesday, Thursday, and then that way I could travel in between and go check out sites, go to conferences. And so, you know, I don't know how many times I told, you know, I had it when I was pre-21 and even 21, I was like 25 forever <laughs> because of that. Maybe you still are 25. You just keep rolling with it. I don't know. I'm seeing my wrinkles here. I'm definitely not 25 anymore. Right, we'll give you credit where credit's due. So I have to ask, like, what got you motivated or inspired to get into commercial real estate? Was your dad a real estate attorney or how did you get exposure to it? Like for me, like I didn't know what commercial real estate was until my junior year in college. Didn't even think about it. 
yeah, you never think about how like all those things work. I think for me, it was I've always been like had a, like a fascination about construction. Like growing up, I loved to watch them build bridges and roadways and buildings and houses. And I'd like walk around. Like I think one of the best smells in the world is fresh asphalt. I mean, weird stuff like that. And so I always really liked construction, but I always knew that that's a tough living to make. And so real estate, I had no idea what I was doing and it was an exciting opportunity to jump in. Love it. So was there a certain mentor that helped you get excited about getting into the business anyway? Was like a family friend or somebody else's dad at school or like, you just were like, this is cool. I want to see, I like how things are built. I'm going to call companies and figure out a way to go intern at one. Yeah. So my dad, his old business partner knew this principal and said, Hey, you know, they might need some help around the office. And I was like, sure. And you know, the way I kind of thought about it is like, look, now I can start. Now I can figure out if this works or not. If I like it, if I'm passionate about it. And so it was the perfect fit. And I got really, you know, really lucky. And which group was it that you interned with? Uh, it's called Sandor Development. Sure. They're out of Indianapolis. I was with them for six years. Oh, wow. Okay. So you interned throughout school. Mm-hmm. It quickly became from an internship to like a real position. And so I was an independent contractor for them doing leasing, development, running around the country, going to ICSCs, you know, Vegas, Texas, Chicago, meeting with tenants. And so I got a ton of exposure all across the business and got comfortable outside of just doing stuff in Phoenix. I love that. You know, obviously I'm partial to anybody who's doing multiple market stuff. I've lived in several markets. We invested Zig in several markets. I'm, I know you guys are at sign in. So you mentioned that you did leasing development. You had your hand in a few different things. Did you start in like one specific role at the beginning and then evolve over time? Or they were just like, yeah, figure it out, Josh, go. Yeah, I was kind of a figure it out. It was a lot of construction, a lot of development stuff. But then, you know, it was, hey, this group called to lease some space. Can you call them back? Oh, wow. And so it just became that. And then it was like, hey, make phone calls. And so, you know, I'd go through the phone book or go through the white pages on the computer and like look up nail salons. And then I'd, you know, go out to these small towns that we might be developing a center and I'd go door to door in the neighboring markets to go look for, hey, this nail salons in these three markets, well, they should be in this one. And so you start really kind of putting the pieces together. And you know what was great about that opportunity is they really allowed you to make mistakes. They allowed you to fail because I'm 18, 19, 20 years old and I'm just learning it. But it was just such a great experience because they supported my quest for knowledge. And then also I was able to, you know, hey, you tell me once, I'll get it right the second time. I'm going to stop for a second because that just hits a nerve for me in the best way possible. That's a line that I've always tried to tell as many young people coming up in the business because it's advice that I received, which is ask as many questions as you want, but don't ask the same question twice. I love that. Yeah. And I would even say this, like I tell my employees today, like, don't come with me with, I don't know what to do or what do you think of this? I want you to preface everything with, here's what I think we should do first. Because I want to understand your critical thinking. And so much of today, and especially in this global economy, you critical thinking is so important. And I don't think I don't think they teach that enough in schools. It's very like, hey, memorize textbook and take a test versus, hey, let's think through these problems. And you might have five different answers from each student, but they could all be right. And that's not the way we educate our kids. Sure. There's something to be said for that. So 
as somebody who I'm an employer as well, nowhere near the scale that you are, but I'm constantly interviewing people. I'm sure you're doing it 10x to what I am. And there's a lot of people that are listening to this show that maybe are coming out of school or looking for another job. How do you demonstrate as a candidate that you do think critically? And being on the employer side of the table, when that comes up in an interview process, like what triggers or, or quality of questions are you looking for? This is totally off topic, but I'm curious to hear how your brain works on this. Yeah. So a few things. One is I would just asterisk this whole thing with, I'm not really involved on the interview process anymore. So like, I can't speak to what we're doing today. I know what I liked before, but I... I'm going to interrupt you because clearly you've built out a team that you can justify having them run point on interview process. So you... Yeah. So I trust their process and whatever it is, I don't question it. So I think unless, hey, unless we have multiple, a lot of turnover, then we look at what are the questions are we asking? What are the things we need to do? How do we improve? And so what I would say is like for an interview, I'd say, look, depending on the job, what's the tenacity? If it's in sales, what's the follow-up? When you show up to the interview, what do you know about the people you're meeting with? What do you know about the company? Like, you're walking in, spend two minutes just scrolling through what projects, maybe like know some facts about the company or the people. And then also just like simple things, show up early, right? Overdress. And then a handwritten thank you note. I think that just gets lost in translation. I, I just don't see people do that at all. You know, I've taught all of our team to do it and I hope they still do it. I'll have to check the mailbox, but you know, I trust that they're doing it because I think little things like that, those little gestures make a difference. And then in the interview, I think just like with any other kind of interview, whether you're interviewing for a new client or it's really listening, hearing what their potential concerns are for a role, like, oh, well, we need somebody to do this. And then being able to respond with situations, how you might handle them. And if you don't have a lot of experience, you might not be able to speak to it exactly, but you could say, hey, this is how I think. This is how I would think about that situation. And that's to me is I want to understand how they're going to think because in our business, you're not giving change for a hamburger, right? Like these are complicated problems. There's a lot of things that come up and you're bound to make mistakes. And I think the biggest thing is like, hey, how do you recognize that mistake? Because there's your reality, my reality, and the listener's reality, right? And so I think, how do you improve upon that the next time is what I always look to do and to teach. Love that. So before we go too much further chronologically with the start of your own company, tell us a little bit more about your experience with Sandor. I ask everybody this, and I'm interested to get your answer because I love how radically transparent you are, but I also know how sharp you are. And so I, I'm sensing that there may not be a really good one, but I have to ask the question. Do you have an embarrassing story that you had from when you first got started that you could share with us? Oh, there's so many. I look back to at a young age, you go to these ICSCs and like you think, oh, it's just a party and there's free booze and food and you have no idea. And so I'm not going into much detail, but I went to a conference and somewhat embarrassed, over-consumed alcohol at a party after hours. And I think it was interesting because I knew what I did wrong. I apologized. And you know, I don't know if I was going to get fired. But I think it was interesting because I think the adults that were with me were probably the ones that got in more trouble. And which was kind of cool to see is like, hey, you're supposed to be looking after this the next generation. And I think it just shows that we're all young and dumb. And I think one thing I learned from that is like when we go to ICSC for Vegas, I tell our team, you know, zero tolerance. You guys get go a day early, stay a day later, get it out of your system. 
you're here for work and let's be smart. A lot of that comes from me, obviously, and I didn't do it at Vegas ICIC. It was a much smaller thing, but it comes from that, but also seeing over the years, it's one event can really not ruin your, but you can be kind of, you know, the laughing stock, maybe a little side joke. And so I'm trying to prevent future generations from making the same mistake I did. Sure. Appreciate that. Have you had mentors throughout your career that helped shape you into who you are today? Oh, tons. You know, I think mentorship is so important, but you know, a lot of people, I think, think like you have to have them meet every day, every month. Mentors come in and out of your life. They might be very involved for a couple of weeks, for a few months. You might talk to them once a year. They might just have a certain period in your life. And so I've been a huge proponent of them. I've got several of them. I look to even some of our employees, our in house counsel, we've worked together for 16 years, I think now. And I look to him as a mentor. Love that. What were some of the biggest lessons that you learned from your time at Sandor that made you set up to start your own shop? You know, I think a lot of it's just seeing around. So I was in EO, Entrepreneurs Organization, after I left, but our principal was in EO. So seeing being around entrepreneurs, they're always coming to the office and seeing that. And I think it's you know going through the downturn. So starting you know 2007, 2008, seeing how all those things happened, I think it really kind of prepared you to see how they were pivoting at, the, at our office, what was happening on in the marketplace. And again, continue reading, learning, meeting. I used to go out all the time, try to network as much as possible, but also network with meeting, not just to meet somebody, but to, hey, understand what they've done, what mistakes they made, because I think the power of the network is so important. I was in EO for, I think, six years. And now I've been in YPO, Young President's Organization. Oh, cool. I just got in. Oh, congrats. Yeah, it's a great group. The real estate network's phenomenal. You know, I've always been the younger person in a lot of these groups. And you know, now I finally feel like I can give back. And so I think it's just so important. Now I get to learn from the next generation. And so I'm super excited for that. And so I think just kind of putting yourself in those uncomfortable situations, I've always kind of enjoyed. You're a sick man, <laughs> just like me. And I love that. That's amazing. My view on networking has always been, I want to be the dumbest and the poorest person in the room. And if I've accomplished both, then I'm in the right place. So it's cool that, yeah. to know that there's somebody else out there who's like, that's like, some people go skydiving because they, oh, it makes me uncomfortable. I'm up high there. I'm like, oh man, there's a lot of billionaires in here. Like, this is good. Like, I should be like a little bit <laughs> intimidated, but like, you know, that feeling of uncomfortability. So I'm really glad that you said that. It makes me feel more self assured about it because as I enter into YPO, I'm definitely going to be viewed upon as a young guy. And I thought it was so cool that you said, and it just speaks volumes about your personality that was a little nugget that I'm not sure everybody will pick up on because you know, in the midst of our conversation, but you said, I'm looking forward to learning from the next generation. I mean, you're someone who's accomplished an unbelievable amount in such a short period of time. And you're sitting here telling us that you listen to four Audible books a month and that you are looking forward to learning from people who are not necessarily as accomplished as you are, but may look at things differently. And so it speaks volumes to how you think critically. And I don't know, I think that needed to be pointed out for for me to kind of reiterate, like in my mind, like this is a key takeaway from the Aaron and Josh conversation, but for also all the people who are listening who you know, might be on an airplane right now, secondhand listening, like the fact that your brain works, that is amazing. I, I love that. I mean, let me ask you this. I know you come from a line of entrepreneurs. When you got into the business, 
even as an intern in college, I mean, did you always know that you were going to own the properties one day that you wanted to be? No. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So tell us about that. I didn't really, you know, you grow up, I think you're the way you look at the world and like, I never had flown first class or anything. I very middle-class upbringing. And so I think you, your view of the world and what's a lot and what's important is, you know, oh, what is wealth? What is being rich? And, you know, I back those things, you know, I think those are two different things. And then, but going into it, like, Hey, I don't know what this means. And I could probably be happy just working here and becoming a part, you know, some kind of partner and doing that. And then I think over time, our attorney saw it that it was working there. And now he's our counsel. I think he saw it before I did, just because youth, right? You're kind of dumb. You got a lot of, you know, maturity, especially guys. We mature ten, you know, late in life, if at all. <laughs> and then I think for me, finally, I just realized like, oh, I kind of wanted a new adventure in 2010. Like, look, it's the bottom. And I would say, like, I think that's the easiest time to start a business. Like, could you imagine today? I don't think I could do it. I'd rather be lucky than good. And I felt like I was lucky because I picked the, that timing. Because today, you try to get an architect or a surveyor or a title company or an attorney to jump on your project and do something. And it's like, oh, well, they're like, hey, we're two weeks, three weeks out for our stuff. And we provide a lot of business. I couldn't imagine being like, hey, I just started. Can you help me out with this new plan? My first deal, the architect, I think, carried my like, invoice for like six months to help me on cash flow till closing on our first deal that we were putting together. Wow. And so while I was under contract teeing it up, he had done all the plans and like floated me. And so it's just, it's a different world. And so I think for me, it was just the right timing, but I didn't know that. So this is a perfect opportunity to hit the reset button. You're very difficult to interview. And let me tell you why. Typically, when I'm doing, I'm having these conversations, somebody's like, I was at this company and I did this amount of deals and I got promoted and I switched over to this company. You're like, I don't want to talk about myself really. I worked in Sandor for six years. I started Simon. But like, just to put things into perspective, so you were at Sandor from 04 to 10, right? You said you were there six years. Yeah. Full time. I know you started as an intern before that. Yeah. And so you said something so interesting. You said, I picked the best time to go out on my own and start my own business and do development. And it was 2010. Not a lot of people, a lot of people are, you know, especially those who are more than a few years into the business right now are probably listening to this right now and scratching their heads. I actually take a contrarian view with you in the sense that I actually wish that I went through that recession. I have fears that I didn't. And that I've only... I got into the business late in 12 and it's only been up up since. I kind of wish that I had to leave space at that time. I wish that I had to you know, go find debt at that time. So that way we're well equipped for whenever this next recession comes and inevitably does. So I thought that your viewpoint on that was so interesting and that you looked at the glass half full in that capacity because while it was great that your architect floated you, you still needed deal flow. So like, can you kind of walk us through the history of your company as opposed to just talking about yourself? Because I can tell you don't want to do that with your humility, but like walk us through what your company has done starting in 10 doing development when like tenants weren't really doing deals then. Like it's great if your architect was floating you, but there wasn't that many retailers doing deals. So talk to us about maybe a little bit about the first few deals and where the company is now, quantitatively speaking, and, and how you got there. Yeah, and I would just add. So I said it's a really, I really like that opportunity starting in 2010. But I also think at the same time, it makes you jaded because you're chicken little a little bit. Like, oh my god, the world, right? And so now, because of that experience, I am forever scarred in that way. And so I think just 
really looking at that. And yes, I think I will be prepared for the re- next recession, but like it's not going to be the same. No two ever are, right? And so I think you just have to recognize when experiences might be have some kind of unknown bias that you might be like thinking and making sure that you're taking that into account. But to go back to your question, so 2010 started, I really had no idea what I was going to do. I thought I was going to be the entrepreneur to everybody. I was going to run a bunch of companies. And you quickly realize that the machine gun approach is not the right way. It's better to go shotgun. And what I mean by that is, hey, be real focused. And so I had invested in a hosted VoIP company, which is those internet phones on your desk. I was like, we were, had a couple of residential brokers that were hanging their license with me, a couple, you know, other guys that were doing deals. And then, you know, I was hoping to put some development deals together. And a lot of this was just because I was trying to make ends meet. You don't just start a development company and then click, you know, deals pop up and you're on your way. And so it took almost probably, I think, a year to get the first deal done. You know, when you think about putting it under contract and finding it, maybe a little bit less than that. But in the meantime, like just because you close on it doesn't mean like there's a pot of gold sitting there. And so I was doing a lot of like side stuff. I was doing some tenant rep on a few deals, cricket wireless, 1200 square feet. I was must have done probably 10 or 12 in Phoenix. And you know, that's part of like you can't walk until you crawl. Although I did, I guess I did, I kind of skipped crawling. So that that's another funny story. But you kind of have to go in stages and it's like as you grow. There's different stages. You know, you hit puberty, you're the ugly kid. Well, I was kind of the ugly kid. I was doing all these things. And so then slowly we figured out like what our flywheel is. And then, you know, that started to turn faster, which became single tenant net lease. That slowly grew. And then we started hiring employees. And then so fast forward, 2015, 2016, we really hit our growth. You get the compounding effect. If you look at like Warren Buffett's made. I don't know, 7 billion, you know, most of his wealth in like the last 15 years. And if you look at the compounding angle, that goes with reputation, obviously money, people, everything I think has a compounding effect when you're able to perform and help your clients grow. And it's been a really fun ride the last 12 years. What were some of the tenants that you were developing for at the beginning? Oh, Verizon dealer. We were doing Easy Corp, which was uh, like a publicly traded pawn shop. We had I'm trying to remember some of the other early ones. We've done a lot of Dollar Generals, a lot of O'Reilly's over the years, coffee users. As we grew, we started to get into some interesting opportunities, whether it was, you know, an touch to needle, which was a startup at the time, their headquarters. And then we built our first multi tenant. And so slowly those deals kept getting slightly bigger. And we did more to the point where today we're building a 700 well 700,000 square foot power center it's probably the first that's been built in the at least the west coast in the last 15 years it's under construction right now which is super exciting and that's been fun the last year i've learned more about the business i think i ever have just you know the mechanics of a center like that so it's been fun it's amazing so what does the company look like today like how many states are you in or how many properties have you guys developed how many people work there rough numbers what does that look like? So we've developed about 250 projects in 22 states, I want to say. We'll probably do about 50 projects this year. This year, we'll probably, I think, hit the high mark from not just sheer number. And then we've got, I think, 54 employees right now. I mean, it's been really fun. You know, a lot of we've grown quite a bit from that, but we've got a core group of about I think eight that have been with us for at like five, six years. So really that initial growth 
And so it's been really fun like to see them grow. And then also like how we had to grow. Like I've had to grow as a leader and learn to let go. Being a business owner and starting it and starting from nothing, you know, you have these tendencies where I would be more of a micromanager, you know, really wanting to get into the details. And now we've brought on a chief operating officer as of a few months ago that all the day-to-day kind of inner office stuff, like I'm out. And you have to push yourself to be like, okay, I need to trust in my people so that I can have better balance. And so my whole theme this year, and why I said the peak at 50 is my goal is to have better balance. You know, I think work is awesome. I love what I do. I love waking up and getting to the office early. But I think also there's more to life than just work. You have to enjoy it. And I've got a beautiful wife and we're building a house and we hope to have kids. And so I want to be prepared for that next step in our journey. Sure. It's a hell of a business to build in 12 years. Kudos to you. Like we're pausing to say that because that is incredibly impressive. Thank you. What are your weaknesses and how do you navigate them? I've been interviewing you now for quite a bit of time and I haven't found it yet. So no, there's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. Attention span. I'm pretty impatient. I want to know the purpose. Like people will talk value, this, this, and this. Just to me, it's get right to the purpose. And a lot of times with people, you have to hear them out. And I just want you to get right to purpose. And so I think I could do a better job of that. I think my timing, like I expect everything to be done now. They, everyone says I operate on Josh speed. But I think also that also challenges people. You know, and I think to work in our organization, you have to be Simon Speed, be first, be fast, persist. And so I hope I can have better balance, which I think will give people around me that mean a lot to me in my life more time. And I think I could do a lot better job of that. Fair enough. What's the biggest curveball you've been throwing so far in your career? Oh, there's been lots of them. I would say the most recent one is COVID supply chain. Sure. You know, we are getting our butts kicked on. More so, and it's everybody, right? It's HVAC units, it's SCS equipment, which is back you know, six months, it's timing, it's costs. And so I feel like when you're on a, you know, like a rowboat and you plug one, you got a hole, you plug a hole, then another hole. And so like, I feel like every day it's whack-a-mole on the holes. <laughs> and it's really... And I think that's where like this new balance thing came together is like, it sucks so much like positive energy trying to deal with a lot of those things. And like, you can't control everything. But what you can control is, hey, how do we want to move forward? What's important to us? And you know, I think for us, it's like, hey, who do we want to work with that understands these times? Because there's a lot of folks that don't, they don't want to recognize that like, oh, things are taking longer. And especially in a market like Phoenix, it's insane here right now. Concrete, like just getting materials on site is quite challenging. What advice... Do you have for somebody who's less than five years in the business that wants to make it? Because that's the thesis of the podcast, right? Is like you're spending your time, your free time listening to you and I talk about your journey and commercial real estate deals and how you got started. Like my assumption is that every listener is trying to get better and trying to improve upon themselves, just like you do when you're listening to Audible and like I do when I'm reading books and listening to Audible. What advice do you have for those people that are less than five years in the business? Well, I think just be a sponge, you know, learn as much as you can get involved. I used to like volunteer at the office to do extra work just so I could learn it. Listen, sit in those meetings. Like I would sit in with our attorney and listen to him negotiate a lease and negotiate a purchase agreement. Today, 
I'm not involved in that and probably forgot half a lot of those like counterpoints and some of that. But at the time, it really helped you understand the mechanics of how everything works. And I think just getting around and understanding like, oh, what does development do? Or what does construction do? And if you're a broker and you're interested in different... Like, well, how does industrial work? And what's... You're not going to master it. But like, I think learning a little bit about everything in the early part of your career helps you to have a much more well-rounded education. Sure. Speaking of education, you alluded to some books before of being and you're an avid reader. What's one book that's changed your life? Oh, there's so many of them. Everyone that I listen to, I would say, it changes my life in a certain sense. The strength to strength one that I just mentioned, and that's just top of mind because I just finished it. You know, I'm a workaholic, you know, and I never really thought about that. And that's not something that I'm proud of. And like, hey, how do I like I actually, you know, going back to the word balance, that's what I need to center myself on. There was one group called the Aji 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 Network. That was like these classes that I did. And the book that they have is a very difficult book to read, but there's a ton of great takeaways for business. Perfect. Okay. The Aji group. Aji Network. Yeah. Aji Network. Okay. What's the craziest deal you've ever worked on? I would say the power center that we're developing right now. So go back 2019, they started Red and Mace Ridge. We're looking to sell this project. It was supposed to be a mall. They didn't really take it, I would say, maybe out to the full public, but they brought it to a bunch of groups. Hey, are you, you know, interested? And somehow I got a phone call. And you know, I felt pretty special. A guy building a bunch of Dollar Generals. You know, hey, he's going to get a phone call to build this massive project. And we got in. We were able to get to purchase agreement. They picked us. We signed the purchase agreement. I'll never forget. It was right when COVID hit. Like They shut down everything. We did our happy hour with the brokers that we hired for the listing via Zoom. It was my first Zoom happy hour. And those first like six months, I mean, I had time on the contract to get, you know, some activity, but not that much. And so I was very worried just about like, hey, how am I gonna do? No tenants would call me back right now because they're all dealing with closed stores. And so coming out of COVID, we started to build momentum and then just seeing how that you know has transpired to the fact that we literally have leases signed or leases at least and a handful of LOIs to finish on all 700,000 feet. And so just to see that vision come to reality and the tenant lineup, it's been crazy. It's been fun. And yeah, it's been a very exciting project. And I'll be even more excited when we're done with construction. I bet you will be. We're all cheering for you. Where's the project so we can... It's in Surprise, Arizona. Okay, cool. Fast growing suburb. Amazing. That's cool that the craziest deal you've ever worked on is happening in real time. Something that uh, by the time this comes out, people will be able to Google and check out and see. So that's amazing. So I asked this question to everybody. And I'm always curious to digest the different responses that come in because they've been really insightful and unique to the individual guests. You've been widely decorated by ICSE, for example. And one day you're going to be out of the business. You're going to retire or sail off in the sunset or, or do what you ever decide that you want to do. And when that day comes, the trade publications like ICSE are going to come out and say, Josh Simon with Simon CRE has decided to go hang out on a beach. When they write that article about you, what do you want your legacy to be like in the business? Well, I would say more importantly, I want to be known as a great father and a great husband, a great friend. 
And that kind of relates to the business. I want to be known as a great friend. And I want to know that we've helped develop community. And I think that's where I've really now getting to build these projects. And then you want more. What is the purpose? What are we doing this for? And so for us going forward is how do we build community in the shopping centers that we are developing? What can we do to better the communities that we're serving? Whether it's, hey, offering free space to maybe some Etsy mothers in that market so they can use a shop space that's, you know, vacant or we create like an area for, you know, something like thinking through those things and like, how can we give back on a bigger scale and help the communities that we serve? It's amazing. Being an asset to the community, not just an asset on the balance sheet. That's awesome. Josh, I sound like a broken record, but I can't begin to articulate on behalf of everybody who will hear this and everybody in the industry who knows you, how impressive your story is and your company's trajectory and what you've been able to accomplish in a short amount of time. You certainly will have a cheerleader here in Charlotte to see how the next 12 years goes for you guys. I can't even begin to imagine what you're going to be working on if you went from an architect floating you on your first deal for a single tenant net lease deal to building a 700,000 square foot power center that's fully leased in the midst of a pandemic. If you can pull those things off in the amount of time that you've done, I can't even begin to imagine what the future looks like for you and your group. And I can't tell you how appreciative and grateful I am for you joining us on Limitless. And thank you. That's all I can say. So any parting words, here's your floor. No, thank you. And I'm very excited and always happy to chat. And I really believe in in the mentorship and I'm always around. So if anyone wants to reach out, we'd love to talk. You've got to take her right here. Looking forward to it. (laughs) Josh, thanks again for your time. Looking forward to catching up with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. I hope you were able to extract one piece of value out of today's episode. That's my only goal. If you did in fact get some value out of it, let me know via LinkedIn, Instagram, or through a review wherever you get your podcasts.